0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from the New King James Version. And here's what it says. Taking right off of chapter 10, Paul says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. I have to stop right there. Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's a pretty bold statement. For somebody to say, imitate me, well, you must be pretty confident that the way you're living for the Lord Jesus is the right way. Well, Paul was quite confident. He did not deem himself to be perfect, He said in various places, including Romans chapter 11, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So he admitted that he sinned right along with every other believer in the body of Christ. But he also was affirming here, hey, look, I may still have my weaknesses as a human being, but I am passionately pursuing the Lord Jesus. And I'm asking you to follow me in that and to passionately pursue him. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, he goes on to say, verse 2, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. See, not all traditions are bad traditions. Many are good traditions. Verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. This is a very interesting verse that can uh, provoke theological discussion for hours. But I I just want to hit this, that Jesus says, not only am I asking you to be in submission to authorities, but I myself, the head of Christ is God, I myself— when Jesus was here on the earth, he said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. The works that happen through me, the father's doing those works. So Jesus modeled for us that even though he's God, he's submitted under authority and gives honor to his authority. And he's saying, hey, listen, carry that out in the rest of your lives as well. And then in verse four, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, let me tell you, there are in the Bible certain things in the, for example, the epistles or the letters that we have to determine, is this universal or is this pastoral? In other words, is the Holy Spirit bringing something here that is a universal command to everybody in the body of Christ of all ages? Or is Paul addressing something now? to the Corinthians uh, that needs to be adjusted and corrected based on their cultural context. And I believe here that's exactly what we're dealing with, a pastoral issue, not a universal command, because the head coverings and such is not even what most of us deal with in at least the Western part of the world. And so it doesn't relate to us, doesn't make sense to us. Let me give you a quick example to help you to understand as well. In chapter 12, And on into chapter 13 and 14, Paul begins to address, and we'll get to it, uh, an over or an excessiveness of speaking with tongues when people come into church. And so people are not being edified because they're just hearing a lot of people speak in tongues. Well, what do you do with a church that doesn't speak in tongues? And so here's a church and they hadn't been taught about the fullness of the spirit and the ability to speak in spiritual language. And s- some people have used that as a universal command to say, see, that's why we don't speak in tongues because Paul's saying that's just excessive. We shouldn't be doing that. Well, See, it made sense to a church that was speaking with spiritual language in excess when they come together. Now this pastoral command that's very precise for that original audience makes perfect sense. But to another audience that had not even been taught about the fullness of the Spirit, it doesn't make sense. And that causes people, because they're taking these, some of the statements as universal commands, it causes them to not even open their hearts to the fullness of the Spirit, which Paul himself affirmed in these chapters. See, and so that's why we have to, in good hermeneutics, biblical hermeneutics, which means the proper interpretation of Scripture, we have to ask ourselves in various passages, is that pastoral for a particular issue that was happening in this church, in that culture, or is this universal? Everybody now has to have this standard. And women have to have their heads covered in church and so on and so forth. And so notice again, it says, every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So notice he's saying, look, if a a lady doesn't have a head covering on, that would be like her just shaving her head. Well, see, you can see, We're trying to figure that out in our culture. Well, what do you mean? I mean, a lady always has to wear a hat to church and so on and so forth. And some people have taken it that way. But in the culture that he's writing to, this was standard operation. This was part of the way that uh, males and females would naturally dress, and so now Paul is saying when you're coming before the Lord now, you need to dress appropriately, but he's talking about in a cultural context. But I want to hit something else that's often overlooked, and that's this. Verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Notice that Paul is saying if a woman prays or prophesies in church, This is not talking about in the privacy of their home. This is talking about in church. You're not going to prophesy to yourself at home. See, so you're prophesying or you're praying publicly here at church. And he says if if she does it with her head uncovered, then she's dishonoring her head. But notice he's also saying if she has her head covered appropriately, as a woman in that culture would, then her praying and prophesying publicly is accepted. What does that say? Paul right there very clearly is affirming that both males and females can be used by the Holy Spirit to bring forth prophecy, to bring forth things of the Spirit and such. So it's not just men that can do ministry. It's women, but he's saying, but you need to do it in within your cultural honor and your system so that it doesn't dishonor The ministry of the Holy Spirit that's happening. And so I think that's very important for us to understand that. Verse six, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Or in other words, her head be shaved. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Talking about Eve was created for man. You remember in the Garden of Eden. goes on to say in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. That's a very, uh, very controversial statement in terms of people Uh, agreeing on that. It could have many uh, different meanings uh, depending on who you ask. But I think what I would say is just a general understanding of this, not to read too much into it, that the angels are in the spirit realm. And what he's saying is, if we'll walk properly in this natural realm and honor our authorities as our human authorities and such, walk with respect and such, then the spirit realm knows how to respond to us because we're walking in unity and authority, just like Jesus when he was here on earth, just like the apostles to Jesus, just like the apostles to their leadership, just like Paul the apostle to the Jerusalem council of uh, apostles and elders there was a recognition of authority and when we're all dealing with one another with respect with honor with unity with submission to authorities then the angels the spirit realm knows how to function with us because we're walking in proper authority but when we get out of alignment it confuses how the spiritual realm is supposed to respond because are they going to respond in agreement with your overseer or you who's not in alignment with your overseer? See, and so we could be praying different prayers and saying different things, declaring different things, but we're not in agreement. And uh, But the angels are supposed to bring forth the word of God that we declare according to Psalm 103 verse 20. And so we need to make sure that we're doing things in a proper order so that the spirit realm can go along with us now that's my understanding of this and like i said there are many others that would uh, uh, interject and assert different opinions on it verse 11 nevertheless neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the lord for as the woman came from man even so also uh, even so, man also comes to the womb. If it wasn't for women, there wouldn't be any man. That's what he's saying. So men sh- shouldn't get too cocky like, well, we're really the preeminent ones and you're just made for us to be sort of our uh, helpers and such and you're our assistants, but you're not really at the same level. He's saying, no, no, there needs to be mutual respect because without women, there wouldn't be any men either. Uh, but all things are from God. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray? to God with their head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? And this is something that you'll find in the Bible that we have to again ask, is this a pastoral cultural issue or is this a universal command? Sort of like when we read in the Old Testament, don't tattoo your body. Is that a pastoral issue? Is that something that was for that time Or is that this universal command that anybody that gets a tattoo is out of alignment and off base with God? See, we just have to be careful. Sometimes we'll read a little uh, verse of scripture or phrase of scripture, and then we'll just apply it universally to everybody as if now everybody but you are in the wrong. And we just have to be careful about that. Not that we don't take the word of God seriously. We do. We take it very seriously, but we do have to properly interpret it so that we don't overextend it, over-apply it in situations where it wasn't intended to be applied. And so he goes on to say now, uh, for as a woman came from man, even so man comes to the woman. judge among yourselves. Uh, is it not proper? Uh, well, I was in verse 14. Does not even nature teach uh, you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair... It is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her. And we know that's generally true, that generally speaking, women have long hair. Generally speaking, men have shorter hair. This is not saying, uh, this is not instruction when you go to the hairstylist, okay? My hairstylist is myself, by the way. I take care of it myself. But this is something that's very interesting. And generally speaking, we can see this this still holds true today. Verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Interesting, after he goes through all of that, he said, now, if anybody seems to have contention about this, we have no such customs, nor do the churches of God. He's not trying to stir up problems. He's trying to solve problems, bring peace to the situation, help everybody to function in a way where we all function in unity, and the Lord is able to minister through us. Verse 17, I got to get to some really important things here. So I'm going to go rather quickly. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together for the better, uh, not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, the way you've been functioning together has been uh, detrimental and not a benefit. Verse 13 For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And so he's saying, you should be coming together for unity and sharing in communion, the Lord's Supper and communion. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Now, back in this culture, and it tends to be true now, that people that are owners of businesses, bosses and such, they have more flexibility in their schedule. And so they decide how everybody else works, but then they can get everybody going and then they can leave. Well, what people would do is when they would come to church and often these churches, again, would be in people's homes almost exclusively at this time. They'd be in somebody's home. Well, they the boss would get there early. So the, those people that were business owners and such had more flexibility, more wealth. They could get there early and they would eat and fellowship and enjoy. And then when those uh, harder working employees would get there, well, the food would uh, largely be gone. And Paul was saying, what kind of a, body of Christ is that. How is that that we treat one another like that? That is so wrong compared to how Jesus functions with us. He gives his life for us, not gets there first to eat everything. Because if that was the case, well, Jesus would have everything eaten up. But no, he made us join heirs. He wanted us to partake right along with him. And uh, so Paul is saying, look, that's not what you're doing. You guys are taking advantage of your You're taking advantage of your advantages instead of making sure that everybody has an equal share in the Lord. And so he says, one's hungry and another drunk. Verse 22, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He says, "You know, if you're just gonna eat all you want and not worry about anybody else, you can do that in your own house. But when you come together to the church, to the house of God for services, you shouldn't think like that. You should think other people. And so he says, or do you despise the church of God, talking about the people, and shame those who have nothing? They get there and they're looking around, they're embarrassed because they weren't able to get there as early as you were, and they're shamed. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord. Now he's going to show that he as an apostle received this, not from Peter, James, John, and the other of the 12 really, or 11 without Judas, who were there at the Last Supper. He said, I received this directly from the Lord. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And by the way, this is the most quoted passage when we receive communion, not from, you know, Peter and Mark and Matthew and these guys, but from Paul. This is where I tend to go, and I think most pastors as well. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, take, eat. Notice, he said, Jesus served us. He served the others. He didn't just eat and say, hope you get some. He took bread, and he was serving The others take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Of course, the next morning at nine a.m., he would be crucified and his body really would be broken on the cross. And so it says, take heed. This is take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This represents a new blood covenant that's going to happen in my own blood. And he goes on to say, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That phrase tells us that we should be regularly and often receiving communion and receiving what communion meant. Forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus, healing by the stripes of Jesus, etc. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whenever we receive communion, we're proclaiming what Jesus did, but also why. Therefore, whoever eats or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, not saying you're unworthy, but in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Eating everything before everybody gets there, that's an unworthy manner. Not doing it reverently before the Lord and making sure that your heart is clean, that you're appropriating it to your life correctly, that's an unworthy manner as well. But let a man examine himself. This is what he's saying. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks... In an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You're eating and drinking the communion, thinking that just the act of taking it is going to solve all the problems. He's saying, no, no, you need to make sure to appropriate it. If there's any unconfessed sin, confess it. If you have unforgiveness towards somebody, then forgive them. If you've been uh, eating everything up or being insensitive to people, repent of that. Repent, let the body, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus clean you up and examine yourself, see, and don't eat in an unworthy manner. He goes on to say, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. This is interesting. He said, for this reason, for the cause that believers will come to the table of the Lord and eat in an unworthy manner without checking themselves, without writing themselves, you know, repenting and such. He said, this is the reason why many are still sick. Many of you are still weak. Many of you have died early, died early. Now, of course, he's not saying that to those who are reading this because they're not dead, but he's talking about among you, some of you, some of your brethren have died early because they came to the table and they didn't check themselves out and eat in a manner that's worthy and receive healing. And so because they didn't get healed, because they weren't doing it correctly, they died before they needed to die. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. Well, I want to check myself, and I want to appropriate the body and the blood of the Lord so that I don't have to die early. So notice he says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Some of you are still sick for this reason. And many of you sleep or you died early, for if we would judge ourselves ourselves, we would not be judged. That's so important. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. God's such a good father. If we're off track and we're headed toward damnation, headed toward going to hell, even being a believer, you're in church, you think everything's right, but you're, you know, like Paul said earlier that we read in another chapter, uh, those of you that stand, take heed lest you fall. See, so... Yeah, you may be actually, you may be born again, no doubt, but the enemy's trying to get to you, trying to get you off track, trying to deceive you. And Paul said, look, listen, we need to examine ourselves. We need to judge ourselves. But when we don't examine and judge ourselves and get ourselves straightened out, then we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Let me tell you, I'd rather be chastened by the Lord and not go to hell and go to heaven. Isn't that Right. Somebody said, well, man, but that might make your life bad here or short here or sick here or whatever. It's like, well, look, uh, I'd rather have that for a few years. The Bible said this life's like a vapor of smoke and the next life is eternal. I'd rather have this life be not so good and the next life be great because the next one lasts forever. But really, Paul's saying you don't have to have either. If you'll judge yourself, then you won't be judged. See, so you don't have to have either. He's telling you how to have the best of both worlds, but especially the second one, the eternal world is the most important. So verse 33 now, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. See, right back to that same context of love and sensitivity. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. In other words, if you're so hungry that you have to eat, then stop by home and eat before you come to the house of God. So you can be sensitive and control yourself and uh, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment and the rest I'll set in order when I come. Paul said, I got some other things to share too, but I'll set those in order when I come. All right. I've enjoyed this chapter 11. I look forward to chapter 12 tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.